love laid Hi and welcome back to season four of Love Laid Bear. I am of course your host Dion. Guys, um, I needed this break. I really, 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 really did. But um, I'm glad to kind of come back with a very, very special guest of mine. Um, So I'd like to introduce you to Karen, who is a mother of two. Welcome to Love Laid Bear. Thank you. Hello, my name is Karen McKellar. And I'm looking forward to doing this podcast today. Fantastic. So how have you been? How's your morning been? My morning's been good. It's done the school drop. My two girls who I have adopted, um, one's in nursery and the other one's in school. So I've done that and I'm here to do this today and share my views on adoption. Lovely. So, um, yes, we are going to be speaking about um, Karen's story and how she kind of came about, um, you know, going through the adoption process. I think... I mean, I don't know the statistics personally, but I kind of, I don't really know that many people that adopt. Yeah. So I'm sure you're probably, you know, more into the know than, you know, I would be. So we can kind of cover that as we go along. Um, But firstly, let's talk about you. Okay. How, how did your journey begin for you to even consider adoption? Because, you know, ordinarily most people want just want their own child I mean even with my husband I mean even before we were married I was always when I said oh I would love to foster yeah I would love to adopt and he was always like no no I want my own child I'm like yeah I hear that and we would but I would also just like to give another child an opportunity yeah you know because you hear about all these horror stories about what happens to kids in the care system, you know, and they're not getting that proper guidance and love that they need coming up. So, yeah, I'll stop talking now. (laughs) No, for me, it was a case of, I've always, even as a young person, bit like yourself, before I even got into relationships and that, I said, I want to adopt. Don't know where it came from, but my perspective was, I'm going to, have my husband we have our children they grow Grow. Mm. move and i'm still going to want children but i'm not going to want to have them so then i will adopt so in my head that's what i thought would happen fast forward my adult life i got married we had our first pregnancy within a year but back then i felt like it had been three or four because it took so long in my mind Mm -hmm. and then having the first pregnancy and the three to nearly four months mark, I miscarried. Oh, wow. A year later, we got pregnant again. And I miscarried with it within the same time slot, three or four months. And I think that was a stress on our relationship, which led for us to break up because I didn't, I didn't feel the support from him mm-hmm. as someone who'd lost his children and whether it was immaturity on his part, yeah, he was more like, well, at least I know I can get you pregnant. And it made me feel like, so 
you see, you're feeling like I can't carry I'm mm. the problem and I thought I can't deal with that and hence we split do you think do, do you think so how how old were you when you how old were you and your husband when you split we were I was 24 and he was 20 no I was 26 27 he was 24 okay yeah. so do you think it was his lack of understanding and immaturity or yeah definitely a lack of understanding and immaturity definitely because i i kind of feel that if he had had conversations with his parents because obviously he's he 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 had a brother and a sister so he comes from a home where there's children yeah and his parents have had them i think they may have been able to give him a better understanding but I also realise having a miscarriage can come across like a secret because people don't talk about it yeah. till you've had one. You kind of think you're the only one mm-hmm. and, then you, and then you say it to this person and they're like, oh, I had one or I know someone who had one. And it's more common than you take it to be. Yes. That's mm-hmm. what I've learned. But ultimately, that's what happened. And then fast forward to 2004... And I'm now very open with people that I'm dating and getting to know that I want to be a Mm mum. It's my heart's desire. So if you don't want to be with me because you don't want children, I'm letting you know from now because this is me and it's very important to me. I met my um, partner at the time and he was very hesitant. But it did happen and I was ecstatic but nervous because of the previous two losses and I decided that if it happens it happens it happened and that loss was an topic which put me in a life-threatening situation and then after that again that relationship broke down because straight after the loss he decided to take a job abroad and I was like I'll come and he was like no I need to find myself I'm like okay I'll stay here okay and now for me I'm getting on with life but the desire to be a mum is stronger Mm -hmm. but the reality of can I do this because it's three times now and the ringing of what my ex-husband has said to me going through my head. Oh, you, and, know, you yeah, can't carry. Yeah, and the third one not happening as much as he's not been in my world. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. And then I thought to myself, mentally, I can't. Because if I lose a fourth one, I'm going to be good for nobody. Mm-hmm. And I can't put myself through, through that. that. And then... Back then, I was reading Pride magazine, the black magazine yeah. Pride, and mm-hmm. every time I'm reading it, there's adverts for black children that need to be adopted. And initially, I'm not thinking anything of it, and then I'm like, I think God's speaking to me because why is it I've brought this magazine many times before, and that has never shone out to me. Now, every time I buy it, I'm seeing a picture of an advert for a child that needs Mm -hmm. to be adopted and especially black adopters because it's a black magazine. So I thought, okay, God's talking to me, but can I do it? I'm a single woman on my own, not a high earner. How will it work? 
I'm not too sure if it will. Living in a one-bedroom property. And I thought to myself, okay, um, when you have a baby, if you're in a one-bedroom property, you live in that property Probably, until yeah. the baby gets mm-hmm. older. So I'll go ahead and do that. I applied to Croydon and they came and they saw me and they said yes but the only thing you need to do is we like every child to have their own room and I'm like but I'm not rich or famous so that can't happen for me and only rich or famous people keep their children in different rooms from my perspective anyone else (laughs) that has a new baby your baby's next to you yeah yeah so if you give me a child and I don't want a big teenager, I would like her to adopt a baby. baby yeah. When our, the baby is at the right age, I'll move. And they were like, no, we need you to move. But the social worker that came, she was very harsh. So I thought, okay, let, let her go. And then within six, eight months, within a year, I decided I'm going to put my house up for sale because if this is what it takes, this is what I want. Had to do well. And I put my house up for sale and I sold it and I brought a two bedroom. And I brought my two bedroom in 2007, February 2007. And as soon as my landline was connected, I called Lambeth and I said, I'd like to adopt. Um, could you come and see me? They came, they looked at my home and in my head I was like, this is me. And they were like, yes, can we start the assessment? I was like, yes. So I'd moved in in February. By the end of February, my assessment started. Oh, that's a, wow, that was quick. And um, okay, I was very honest with them because obviously... One, I wasn't a high earner. Two, my brother had um, done time as a younger man and been inside. And I didn't want all of those things which would have to come up to make them turn around and do all of these weeks of coming to my home to assess me and then say no because of this. So I said, this is who I am. These are the flaws I believe I have in my life. Yeah. If any of them are going to be a no... Tell me now. now. Yeah. Because I do not want to be 16 weeks down the line and you're saying no because of what I told you at the beginning. And they were like, no, in in regards to my brother, there has he been a repeat offender? I'm like, no, he's been free for 10 years. He's not, he's not a repeat offender. Was it anything to do with children? No. That's fine. Okay. So we went on and we started the assessment. And it's... Not the easiest thing to do, Dion, in the sense of it's very intrusive. They want to know everything. So when you say when you say intrusive, can you give us like some kind of examples of how intrusive it can be? For example, like I shared, I've been married. We're divorced. His life is his life, mine is mine. There's no communication between us. And for me, I will scream and shout about my adoption the whole world wide. But I wouldn't want my ex-husband to know that this is the route I've had to go. Okay. Especially knowing he's got children. Right. And he understood my desire to be a mum. So I didn't want them to talk to him. And they're telling me 
You have to speak to all your ex-partners. Wow. Wow. Including your ex-husband. No, there's no wow yet. Wait until you hear why. Because we need them to tell us if they think you're going to make it make it to be a good mother. Okay, hold on a second. Now, in an ideal world, exes can be amicable. Yes. But a lot of the time they're not. So you exactly. could have a string of exes who hate your guts. <laughs> yes. And me and him, we were not friends. So I didn't see how this was going to work. Couldn't understand it. And that's where it took a pause because I was very resistant. And they were like, okay, until you give us his number and his information so we can contact him, we can't continue. Okay, but what if he what if he didn't know where he was? Well, that was my thing, but I knew I did, but that was my thing and we I must have not I must have held out for maybe about four or five months. And when I realised, okay, they're not breaking. They're not. And I'm talking to them and I'm like, but he's my ex. What has he got nice to say about me? And then they're explaining just the same way we want to talk to your exes. We're going to talk to a member of your family, a friend, and then anyone else that you want that's not related. And And they've got to do reports about you. And whether they think you would make a good mother. And we, for want of a better word, pick sense from nonsense in regards to your exes. Because okay. we understand they're your exes. Sorry, listeners, I'm, my, my, my jaw is on the floor. <laughs> I didn't... Wow. Yes, it's, it's, it's a lot. Even my ex at the time that I mentioned before, he flew away abroad. Yeah? And they asked me... Can I have his number? How often does he come to England? I said, I don't know. Do you know they contacted him, waited for when he told them he was coming back to England and then met with him to discuss whether he think I would make it as a mother? You know, like half of me, half of me gets it. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad they're being that kind of rigorous, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's very yes. intrusive. And for me, because I found it intrusive, couldn't understand it, so I dug and asked them, why? Why do you have to speak to exes? I can understand family members and I can understand friends who are in your life in the here and now, but an ex is an ex and they're normally in the past, especially because we've got no children, mm-hmm. so there's no connection. Yeah. And what they explained to me is, back in the 80s, a... Gay, co- gay couple adopted a little boy who then went on to be abused to the point of death. Yeah, one of the... Um, when they contacted people that were related and they got in contact with one of these men's ex-partners, he said to the police and the social services at the time, if you had interviewed me and asked me the questions... I would have told you you could never let him have a child. Put a child in his presence at all. And on that basis, that is why they now have to speak to exes. Wow. Which then made it make sense to me, even though I still felt very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with it. And it was funny because, obviously, with everything with my ex-husband, you kind of put all of that behind you. And 
when they spoke to him, they said he he didn't have a lot to say, and he wasn't negative about you, but he said he wasn't surprised that that's what you wanted to do, because you'd always said that you wanted to adopt. Okay. And you told him that that's something you'd wanted to do with him when you mm-hmm. were with him. So I thought, okay, that makes sense. Um, another thing is, I'm I've got tattoos, and three of my tattoos on my back my shoulder I've got three hearts and when the social workers come in and assessing me and it's summertime now so I'm in my vest tops and that and she notices the tattoos on me and she asks me what are they all for so in explaining I explain this free on there on my shoulder for my three children that I believe are in heaven but I want to feel a part of them on me always mm-hmm. so I tattooed three hearts on me and her response was, so when you adopt, what are you going to tattoo on your body for your child? And I was like, I don't know, because I haven't thought about it uh-huh. that far. Because to me, when if I was pregnant and I'm having my baby, the one of the things that going through my head won't be, oh, what am I going to put on my oh, body my body, my yeah. baby? Mm-hmm. And also, I need to see my child to even think what I'm going to but it's something I will most probably do but I could not tell you what it's going to be until I know who is mine Yeah, and she was okay with that they had to speak to my brothers, my mum like I say a couple of my friends and my family members and then also they had to speak to anyone who I would say Oh, that person would be a person that I'm going to allow to look after my child. I see, okay. Because they're like, these children are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to know. So I was like, okay, that, that makes sense for you to go get um, information from them to find out. And it was going, it was a long process. It was going really smooth after I relented and gave them my ex's number. And the ultimatum was after they've assessed you and they've put it all together, they give it to a panel of people. And then you have to go to that panel. And when it came to that day for me, I was like, good God, maybe 12, 13 people are going to sit in a room who don't know me, Hmm. who only know what is in black and white written about me. And I personally feel... When you read something about a person, it comes across a lot harsher than when you meet Meet the person person, and you're talking. So I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to judge me. They're going to tell me I'm not good enough. And this is going to be hard. Because if they say no, how am I going to stay composed? How am I going to handle it? Mm. And I went into the room and... um, a lady came and saw me and she said, you're going to, don't worry about it, reassured me, said they're going to ask you three questions. One about um, the fact that I didn't have a dining room table, which I thought, huh? The second one about my brother and the fact that he'd spent time in jail because it didn't come up a lot in my assessment. I didn't talk about it a lot. Right, okay. And... The third one was because the child that I had chosen to adopt was a foundling 
as in an abandoned baby. Right. How am I going to reassure her in life and how am I going to make her grow up to feel confident in who she is? So I was more perplexed about the table because I'm like, how are they going to, why would that be an issue? So I went in and I was very nervous, very nervous, shakily nervous. And um, my mum was with me and I was very nervous. And also being, come from a big family, big family. Mm -hmm. My mum's one of nine and she's only got three of us, but my aunts and uncles have got five, six, seven children. And no one in my family has adopted so it's a really new thing for us as a family, family yeah, I can imagine. as well. And they're all asking me questions. They asked me about the table and their reasoning was, well, you're adopting a child. And when we like to know that when families sit together, they're at a table and they're eating together. And I said, in the same way that when I first applied, they told me that it's not going to work because I need a bigger house. And I need a room for the child. And I made that happen. When the time is right for me to get a dining room table for me and my child, that will happen. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay. Because I said, I'm a single person. I'm on my own. I didn't. I don't feel like I needed a table. I sit and I eat my dinner on my lap on a tray. It's just me. Yeah. Obviously, when I have my child, my child gets older and needs that, that table and we need a family table, it will come. Mm -hmm. And they were okay. With my brother, they referenced that throughout the assessment, we realised your brother spent time in jail, but you didn't really talk about it. So how did it affect you? And I said it didn't, which is most probably why it, I didn't reference it. It didn't affect us in that way. Yes, it was hard that he put himself in a situation to mm -hmm. get locked up, but I think ultimately it brought us closer together. Because then he he realised he just had us. Mm -hmm. So we were visiting him, we were writing him. And as a family, it brought us tighter together as a unit. So we didn't see it as a negative. And for me, while he was there, he was safe. Yeah. In my eyes. So it wasn't a negative in that way. And ten years later, he hasn't reoffended. So um, it wasn't an issue. They were fine with that. And then when they asked me about my daughter's um, situation and the fact that she was a foundling and abandoned, how would I deal with that and how would I help her? I said to them, I've grown up without knowing my dad. And okay, it's a different situation when you don't know who your birth mum is and I can't relate to that. But I've been there, I've worn the t-shirt, I wear the t-shirt to know what it is not like, to know what your, who your parent is, what they look like, mm. and have no idea. So in that regard, I can help her. I will open every door that I can for her, and every door that shuts, I'll be there when she decides she wants to know and look for who this person is, if we can ever find them. And then after all of that and they asked me about my medical conditions and stuff like that and if she grows to become ill in any way how would I deal with it and I said whatever if my child was to have an illness I would bring her up to but know that 
your illness isn't you you live your illness your illness doesn't live you so mm-hmm. you continue to do what you want to do and don't allow your illness to take over your life I said that would be my philosophy for her they went they told me to leave the room so how how, so how long was this panel interview for it was for about I'd say about 20 30 minutes okay, felt, so, okay so not too long like an hour I can imagine if you yeah. if you're sitting in front of that yeah. many people and you've got these random people asking you so oh I'm a doctor how would you know how do you think you're going to handle when your child knows what are you going to do just all random things mm. which you I'm just sitting there thinking these people ultimately are going to don't know me but they're going to make a decision whether I'm good enough to be a mum or not mm. this isn't right because if I was pregnant they couldn't make that decision yeah. for me yeah but I was like, okay, I have to hand this over. And I left. And before that, the lady that had come to me and said to me, okay, we've got these questions to ask. She was like, they're going to make a decision and then they'll let you know in about two weeks. So I thought, Two weeks? Okay, that's a long time, but they're not going to tell me right there and, and then. then. Yeah, that's true. I walked back in the room, D, and the person that was chairing it, yeah, and now when I look back at it, I think, okay, I was all right because he winked at me. Yeah, oh, this really? black guy. And I thought, why did he wink? And I'm sitting there shaking, and he's like, we've made a decision. Um, we're going to go ahead and tell you now. And I'm like, hell no, because <laughs> I don't want to hear no no's. Yeah. And it's a case of if the majority say no, then that's it's it. It's not going to happen. And then, like I said, I don't know, there was between 12 and 15 different people there, social workers, doctors, adopters, um, different people from different walks of life. And they went one by one and they were like, we approve it, yes, we approve it, yes. And so it went and I'm like, oh my god! Did you get any non, did you get any no's? No no's. Amazing. And I sat there and I was like, and tears started to roll down my face. Because I was like, all these people that don't know me have just told me they think I'm good enough to be a mum. This is just amazing. Amazing. And then it took my adoption, which now adoptions happen faster because I have done a lot to... Um, make awareness of black adoption and just how black people feel about sharing their business and it shouldn't take so long because that's also a process that can put people off so I do believe it sped up but my adoption all in all took two two and a half nearly three years wow which was a long period so is so so that's from the point of them coming in initially for you to sell your house, get a, new, a bigger place? From the moment they came into my house in 2007 in my new one. Right, okay. It took a while and it was very frustrating. And even rewinding and going back, which now in hindsight, it's a funny thing. Once I was approved to adopt, because before you go and they tell you, because the panel that I was talking about then is the panel that say yes, they've matched me to this particular child sorry they've matched me to this particular child Uh and i can have her okay so you don't necessarily get to pick your child um not you do in a way but not necessarily right okay and then but you do a panel before that 
to see if um, they believe that you are applicable to adopt. And then once they've said yes to that, yeah, the other panel is whether they feel that you're right for this This particular child. And once I was approved to adopt, they send you photos of children that um, are available to be adopted. And I never understood the the irony of you can fall in love with a photo of a child and Mm -hmm. automatically make that child yours in your heart and got everything set up. But that's what happened with me. And then there was this one little girl, beautiful, about nine months, showed me the photo, you get her background history. And I had told them yes. And my social worker had to come to see me and say, Karen, we've matched her with someone else because they do explain to you that for every child they match you against another person that wants to adopt and they see which one is the better fit. Mm-hmm. Now, when I asked them why, they were like, because she looked more like the other woman, which I thought, hell no. Who Who's going to look like their adopted child? Mm, they're, yeah. they're not yours. That's not a fair thing to do. But I couldn't stop it or change it. Okay. So I thought, okay. Um, it was kind of a disheartening and discouraging because... Here was a little girl that I'd said yes to, kind of a set up in my heart that, yeah, she could be mine. I'm being told no because the other woman that they've also matched with her looks more like her. Now, my first daughter's story is she was abandoned and D on the... So when you say abandoned... She was left in a Tesco's bag and was found at four hours old. Wow. And I remember it like yesterday. It was 2009. I was going to work because I used to work in the school and I have to be there for seven. I One of my things to do was listen to the radio while I'm travelling and it came up on the news. Abandoned baby left in Brixton in a Tesco's bag. We do not know if she's Asian or black. And the nurses have named her grace now after i heard that news i feel like that's ringing bells now yeah after i've heard that news i turned off my radio and i said in jesus's name i claim her and when i did that i hadn't been approved i hadn't been told i'm that I'm going to be able to adopt. So it was still a no-no. Yeah, yeah. And I remember coming home that night and I phoned my mum. Because I'd been at work, I hadn't seen no news mm-hmm. or seen no pictures, but I knew it would be on the news. And I'm like, mum, have you seen that baby on the news um, who they've named Grace? She's going to be my daughter. And my mum said, stop talking foolishness. Why would you say that? You haven't even been approved, Karen. And I was like, mum, what's your name? And she goes, Grace. And I said, they've named her Grace. Wow. In Jesus' name, I've claimed her. And I never said anything to no one else. Because the one thing they do in adoption is, as much as you want a baby, they tell you that it's very hard to get a baby and there's more black adopters, even though there's not enough of us. Mm -hmm. So there may be... Whereas a white child may have... um, there's more white children in the care system for the white families that want to adopt them. But for black families, there's 
maybe there's less black children in the sense of the adopters that are out there. So there's slim pickings that you oh, will right, get that child, right, if, I'm yeah, trying, mm-hmm. if I'm making yeah. sense. So they, they're not going to hold out. Yeah, you can get a two-year-old, you can get a three-year-old. But when I when they asked me what age I wanted, I was like as close to zero as possible. Um, and they were, they explained it's not really likely. Now, when that happened and she was left, they say she was four hours old. And I never even mentioned it to my social worker. Then fast forward now, and when she was nine months old, and this was really scary because my social worker phoned me up at work and it was like seven or eight She's, it was like, yeah, I was working. And she's like, Karen, I'm going to come to your house to see you. And I'm like, but I don't get home until seven. And I know that they, they work nine to five. And she's like, after you finish work, I will come to your house. So in my head, I'm thinking, what have they found out on yeah. me? I'm in trouble. Yeah. She's coming to tell me that it can't happen and they found this uh-huh. thing. And I know that I haven't done nothing, but I'm thinking that I have. Uh-huh. And she's come and she comes and she's like, Karen you know that story and I'm like about the little girl that was and I'm like yeah the one that was abandoned da, da, da. and she was like yeah you know more about her than me and she goes we realize it's taken you a long time to get to this place and we don't want you to go to any other um agency or borough mm-hmm. to get a child when you've been so patient with us that's Lambeth um and remember I said to you, they match you against yes. another person. Uh-huh. Now, with my daughter, um, they didn't match her against another person. They matched her against me. Wow. And they said, my social worker came and she said, Karen, it was like a hand that fits a glove. The ten things you that wanted so as amazing. a mother is the ten things we as Lambeth wanted for her. And when we put it together, it was like a hand and glove that come together. Would you take her? Um, yes. And this yes. was in yes October and yes. 2009. And I was like, yes. Can my daughter come home for Christmas? And I was, yes, oh. yes. And then she's like, well, she's going to Jamaica in Christmas with her foster care. I was In my head, I was like, no, they're going to kidnap her. They're going to steal her. <laughs> this isn't fair. You now told me she's mine and I can't get her. This don't make no sense. And for me, Dee, the whole process, those three months that I had to wait for her seemed longer than the two and a half years. Years, wow. Because it's like she's in your hand. Yes, but I haven't got her. But you haven't got her. And I thought, when I went back to the fact that when I heard the news, I claimed her and I was like, see, you know, God, you hear and you see and you do. Mm -hmm. Because I couldn't have written it. You know, and if I hadn't shared it with my mum, then no one, one would know. Yes, yeah, yeah, of course. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, and in January of 2010, I met up with her foster carers, and I remember her foster carer saying to me, "She's um a very quiet child. She doesn't like strangers. So if she, when you come to meet her, she won't." maybe come to you because what happens is once you've been matched with a child and they said that child is yours 
you have to see them over a period with babies it's a shorter period Mm -hmm. than it is with older children because older children have been placed for longer so that adjustment has to be a bit longer Longer, for them to Mm -hmm. understand what's happening but a baby not so long so mine was two weeks where I went to her foster home then the foster carer would come and to my home and stay with her with me then she'd bring her and leave her on a day and it was just me and my daughter and no Mm. one else I can do what I want with her and then but on my first day of meeting her it was cold it was snowing it took so long to get there we had say I'm going and they say okay Karen you go for two hours by the time I'd got there an hour and 10 minutes had already passed because of the traffic to get mm-hmm. there. So we got into the house. I was with my social worker. I saw her. She instantly crawled to me. Oh, wow. I didn't have a chance to take off my coat or my hat. And she was in my heart arms. And she wouldn't let me put her down. So I couldn't take my coat off. They couldn't take it off. To the point of her foster father made a joke and said, oh... You sure she might not be one of your brothers because of her circumstances? Uh-huh. He was shocked that she had come to me because they'd had her from she stayed in hospital for the first three months of her life, and they'd had her from then on. So they know her not to go to people she don't mm-hmm. know. And I said to them because she instantly knows that I'm mummy. Yeah, I'm not just a friend. I'm not a stranger. I'm mummy. She gets that. I don't know how, but she does. Mm. Um. Fast forward after all of that, two weeks later, she comes home and on day seven, she's in my house, my mum's there. When I got her, she wasn't talking and she said, mummy, and I said, this is just Amazing. This is just it, you know, and I've gone on to become a foster carer because I realised these children that are in the care system, especially these black children, there's not enough black foster carers to look after them and bring them up in a nice loving environment to give them that love so that even when they move on to be adopted they can transfer that attachment from them to Mm -hmm. their new parents and families so I became a foster carer was a foster carer for about five years got a little baby that I was looking after and this little girl came and she came as a healthy baby but through the months of having her got her at nine weeks realized that she's not really well um by the time she's nine months old they diagnose her with uh incurable illness called hyperinsulemia okay could you tell us explain to us what that is she has an illness which is the opposite to diox um the opposite to diabetes sorry and what it is, is her body produces too much insulin. So she can't hold on to sugar. Right. And as much as the world tells us, oh, too much sugar is not good for you, da 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 da, da I've now understood from my child the importance of sugar. sugar. Mm-hmm. Because without the sugar in her system, she'll go, in, she'll have a seizure, she could go into a coma and she could lose her life just from not having sugar. And in not having that sugar in her system for the first nine months of her life allowed her to be developmentally delayed because she couldn't walk she wasn't talking and she wasn't doing all the milestones babies do Mm -hmm. because she had no energy in her body to do it yeah yeah, because glucose is very important to all, all of the organs yeah 
So is that is that is that is that hereditary or? They said it's a gene that both her birth parents carried, and then because they had her, she's developed the illness. So wow. they don't have it. They they're carriers of it, and by being carriers of it, they've given it to her, which they wouldn't know, and they most probably still don't because they don't know that she's ill. If if that makes sense. So what were the circumstances behind her being adopted? Her birth mum decided that she's a young girl, decided that she'd had her three months in. She decided that she didn't want her. She wanted to harm her and do all types of things and credit given to her that she decided not to do that and just told social services to come and take her. Okay. Um, So that's how I ended up becoming her foster carer. And then what happened is she went up for adoption but nobody wanted to adopt her. Because of her illness? Because of her illness. Okay. And I'm, I'm living it. It's my day-to-day life. And remember I said to you, they say every child that you adopt has to have their own room. Okay. And I said to foster children, especially babies, and I presume older, older ones as well, they have a person in their life who I call the voice. So if a child can't speak, that person, when they go into court, they speak on the child's behalf. Mm-hmm. So they'll be the ones to say to the judge, I think this child needs a mum and a dad, or I think this child needs a mum, or this is what the child needs. And I remember her voice came to see me, and I said to her, you know what, I really want to adopt her. But I don't think I can because I've only got a two-bedroom place. And she was like, Karen, let them know. Who have you let know? I said, I haven't told no one. I'm telling you. She's like, let them know and I will support you all the way. And I got in contact with my social worker and I said, this is what I want to do. My social worker was supportive. The baby social worker was supportive. Everyone that I thought would be like, no. Mm-hmm. was like yes and I'm like look and I'm thinking I'm waiting for them to say to me but you're gonna have to move yeah I'm waiting for them to say it and even though as a foster carer you get assessed to be a foster carer and as a doctor you get assessed to be a doctor so for me Lambeth had all my information because I'm a foster carer and I'd previously adopted with you anyway mm-hmm. but still they had to assess me to adopt me for her right and the assessor came and she's looking and she's a social worker and she's like, oh, but you've only got two bedrooms, but your bedroom, your daughter's bedroom's a big one, so it can it can place two children. And I said, yes. And then she came and she looked in my room because they look everywhere. They look in your house completely. And she goes, your room's really big. So could you visualise yourself separating your room in two so that they can each have their own space? And I'm like, yeah, that could be done in my head. I'm thinking the older one will be in uni and then she can have the room. (laughs) Yeah, give them my living room. You only have little luxuries in life as a parent. But I'm like, yeah, that that could happen. And they said, she said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and continue the assessment with you because I can see how it can work for them. And I did did up Angel Grace's room. I repainted it, decorated it said to them I'm going to have a bunk bed but because of her needs she'll still be in my room for a little while because mm-hmm. she's on she's been machine fed and I don't want that noise to affect my older daughter yes. who's sleeping and I'd had her from nine weeks by the time she was two and a half 
she legally became mine. Wow. And I'm and I want to be, I've looked into it, but there's no such job for it, an advocate for black adoption because mm. now adopting what I've realised is there's not enough black adopters for the black children in care. And I think we're frightened of being open and honest about our lives. But if you've got nothing to hide mm. and you want to be a mother or a father, be it singly or as a couple, to adopt a child because you know you can give a child all what they need and more and all they want is love. Because for me, there's too many of our, our black children especially growing up in the care system and feeling unloved mm. and don't know love. And I kind of look at it and I think all of this, all of this, what they call black on black crime that we see and hear about in the media, maybe if you look into it, one of the things is these children grew up in care. Yeah. And they don't know they love, love so they can't love one another. They can't love mm. themselves. Whereas if we as black people decide, even if it's one person that does it, give another child a home that for mm. no reason of their own doing a lot of these children are in the care system yeah it's not because they wanted to be, be put there, there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if we decide yes that we can do it it will be the best decision that you've made and i it's not easy but as everyone knows being a parent is it's very easy. hard yeah mm -hmm. Being an adoptive parent has its challenges. It always will because your child is adopted. But I don't love my children any less than I think if I'd had my birth children. Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that within my family, they're not treated any different as grandchildren. Mm. They're not treated any different as cousins. Everyone just sees them as mine. And the beautiful thing for me is as much as my children know they're adopted because I didn't want that word to be like a swear word or a nasty mm -hmm. word in my family they look at me and they just know I'm mummy and you couldn't I couldn't ask for more yeah couldn't ask for more I've always told them that you came from my heart and not my tummy I'm your heart mummy and it was funny because my daughter's now 10 and when she was little she could she she got it and then when she started going to school um you can't have a baby from a heart what do you mean <laughs> and i'm like well you know we chose one another and i grew you within my heart i didn't grow you within my tummy because remember i'm not your birth mummy i'm not your tummy mummy yeah we come from one another's heart and she was like yeah i i get that and it's just so nice and right now because of my story and my circumstance and not knowing my dad but I have his surname I've been the only McKellar in my world okay. and right now I hear my four year old saying we're the McKellar family oh, oh, we're the McKellar sisters mm. we got mummy McKellar me McKellar and my sisters McKellar yeah we're the McKellars and I never thought I would have that day I, I never thought I would have that. Mm. I never thought I would have someone that is the same colour as me with my surname because my surname is a Scottish name. Every McKellar that I ever oh, I met see. or looked okay. for when I was looking for my father, they were white. They was they were not black. So I'm like, okay, 
Will I ever find anyone I'm related to? Have you ever found anyone you're related to? I have found my dad. And I'm telling you, we can do another podcast on that. Because that is a deep story. Wow. But I just implore black people, especially anyone of any colour, to adopt. But I want more and more of our black people, even if it's a slight fault in your head, Mm. follow it through. If it's not for you, you will know. Yeah. But if it is, you'll be the happiest person because everything that you go through, through the assessment and the intrusion that you feel, I kind of used to feel like, wow, I'm finding out about me things I didn't know, but I'm not because I'm the one telling them. Yeah. But, but it's feels so like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this don't make that was my life. No, that don't make sense. You know, but. I wouldn't change it. Mm-hmm. And once you have your child, all of that just disappears. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter no more. So what are what what are other okay, other than the very kind of intrusive um like initial process, what have been some of the challenges that you you'd say you've had, you know, since actually having this baby in your care? So what what other things would you say yeah, have been challenges for you? Um, I'd say with my older child, because her story's so unique, and as you know, there's so much on the internet, and her story is on the internet, um, and she's older and she's very inquisitive, I didn't want her to find her story before she knew it from me. So last year, I told her her truth, and I took her away um and we went to the seaside just me and her so my little one didn't come and because it was in the newspapers it was everywhere and what again last year no or at the time right okay but the articles wasn't the newspaper articles weren't nice they don't read nice baby dumped in plastic bag. just what they're not nice Mm-hmm. So I found the nicest one possible because my daughter being my daughter, I think if I told her, if I told her without no evidence, she'd be like, yeah, right, mum, you're mm. not telling me the truth. Because <laughs> over the years of me being a foster carer and she's seeing that I'm fostering these babies, but they have contact with their birth families and they're seeing their birth mums even though they're living with us, I think it brought curiosity. Mummy, who's my birth mum? Did you ever meet her? Mm. What does she look like? And I'm always able to say to her no. But the older she got, I felt these no's aren't going to be enough and I don't want to lie to you. I want you to know the truth. But the more you're asking me, the more I feel like I'm going to have to lie if I don't tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. And I don't want that to impact us when we're when you're older and you've been oh but when you first told me you lied to me mummy so on the advice of um adoption counsellors and that told them what i wanted to do and one of them told me because they said what you're going to tell her is a very stressful situation and they told me make sure when you're telling her she's chewing chewing gum okay so while she's chewing that gum she's not internalizing the stress because she's chewing so the stress is going wow. into the gum. And even though it still doesn't make sense to me, it makes sense, makes sense to me. Yeah. And it worked. Because I gave her the gum and she's just, for her, she's not allowed chewing gum. So, so she she's was like, like yes, chew, chew, chew. She's shocked that. Yeah, eat as much as you like. You don't have to ask. 
and she's chewing it and I'm so telling her. So this is her, like a transfer. Yeah. Of, wow. Of stress. Wow. You, not that you, she said to me, not that you won't get it, but you won't internalise it as much. much. Your body won't take it on because your, your brain is doing too much focusing on the gum in your mouth. And I um, told her and she was very, um, she was hurt very hurt by it and like oh I don't ever want to meet her now how could someone be so horrible and what I'd done beforehand I'd got her godparents and her cousins and people that she feels close to that knew her truth Mm -hmm. to write her some form of a card or a letter however they wanted to do Mm -hmm. letting her know that they have known but it doesn't change their love for her. Oh, that is so amazing. Um, and that they are there for her if she needs to talk to them. Because I always, I also realised in me telling her, she may not want to talk to me. Yeah. She, she may just, she may have an anger that she um, inflicts on me and feels like I can't talk to you. But I wanted her to know that there's people in your world that you, that can. you can go to because they do know and just to let her know that even though they've known this Mm -hmm. it hasn't changed their love for her and it never will Mm -hmm. and that has really helped her but and this is what we call a class parenting oh thank you no honestly because the thing is and like and what i like about that is that you have not just taken this upon yourself you've gone and you sought the support of other people so whether it be professionals whether it be people within your circle and this is something that listeners I want you to kind of take on board I think sometimes as parents we can be so prideful that when things when things do get heavy we don't want to reach out yeah you know and and look in you reaching out has ultimately worked yeah in her benefit I didn't know anything about the chewing gum and for me because she has become an angry child and she is hitting out at me and I'm finding it hard and I don't want to lose her and I want our relationship to remain and my initial thought was I don't want to let people know that that's what's happening indoors and and I don't want her put in a box I do not want them Mm. to class her as this child Mm. now and then once I got over that I realised if I don't seek the help, I'm going to put her in that box. Yeah. Because I'm not going to have the strategies to help her come mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah. And she'll become a worse child, teen, adult. And I don't want that for her. So did that, did that happen after you told her or was this really going on before? It happened after. Like okay. I kind of set it up to a degree. But it wasn't until after that I realised that... No, because periodically she'd always ask me about her birth mum. Mm-hmm. Since I've told her, she's never mentioned her to me again. Yeah, and now it's like no is the worst word. Nothing I can say or do sometimes is good enough for mm-hmm. her. And the battles in the home are ridiculous. It could be brushing her teeth to she wants a packet of crisps at a certain time of the day. And I'm like, no, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. And it's World War Three in the home. But that's the but then that can and go for any child though. It, it can, but what I realised is, because sometimes, especially being black and being brought up, oh, it's not your foolishness. And even the other day, her one of her teachers left the school and she was really upset. She was crying. And I'm like, but you're crying for the teacher. I ain't seen you cry for me. And she's like, 
yeah but the teacher's leaving and i said but why is that bothering you she said mum miss miss mcgee had said to me you can never leave the school because if you leave i'm gonna leave and now she's leaving and i'm thinking but it's life people do Mm. move on and leave but now because she knows her truth about abandonment people that leave her it affects her badly because she's seeing it as another form of abandonment Mm. even though she may not be able to put it into words d yeah but her actions are showing it Mm -hmm. hence i get those actions and so i'm now i've now sought out family therapy and i'm doing um a training course to help me and in the family therapy that's amazing my um therapist is showing me her hurts and she's she's shown me that one of the things we have to remember that in adoption as the adopter you're the happiest person in the world all your dreams have come true Mm. but that child no matter how old they are everything they now they have known is now different Mm. and they have to adapt to that where you're ecstatic yeah they're most probably so upset and like oh woe is me but don't know how to put that into words as a child however old it makes it hard for them now we're doing this the family therapy they're initially working with me but and i'm kind of a feeling bad because i'm like i'm having to go to these people to get help and even at my training last week because there's me and there's other parents and they said you may all sit here thinking it's because you're doing something wrong. Hmm. But the fact that you're here, we know you're not doing something wrong. Yeah, exactly. Because you're here yeah. for the help. Exactly. And I thought, wow. No, seriously, catch you. that way Honestly. is a good thing. Because hmm. you can sit there and beat yourself up and feel, I'm not doing it right, I'm not hmm. doing it right. And the old school generation of our family and parents will be saying, oh, it's because of the way you brought up your child. It's because you sport your child. Mm-hmm. And it's none of those things, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it hasn't decreased my love for her. It hasn't changed because I told them. Because even through the assessment, one of the, the social workers said to me, oh, so you adopt a child, you obviously want a baby. When they get old and things get tough and rough because teenagers can be troublesome, would you give them back? And I was like, huh? What do you mean? I don't get that. Explain. And she was like, well, certain people can adopt and then when it gets rough, they're like, no, I don't, I can't do. I can't, I don't want you. And they give them back to the system. And I said, as much as I haven't given birth to my child, I'm going to ride or die with Mm. my child. And if it wasn't a social worker sitting in front of me, I would have said to them, you know what? The only person to take my child out and put her six foot under would be me. No one else is going to. That's the only way I'd lose her. No other way. That's the only way I'd Sorry, lose I'm not, her. I'm not laughing. <laughs> but I thought, no, I'm going to ride or die with my child because mm. she is mine. This is the way that God has seen me to become a family. And this is how I've done it. And... I, I wouldn't change it for love nor money. Mm. I've got a child who, one is 10, one is four, and we are a unit. You know, they know I'm mummy. They, 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 they know that this is our world. 
They know they're adopted, so it's not a secret. They know their cousins know, but it never gets mentioned. Mm. It's not like oh, that's it. Never, unless they choose to share it. Yeah, it does. It doesn't come up. They're not looked at as the adopted part of the family. Mm. They're just looked at as part of the family. And the irony about it is, my eldest daughter looks like me. Yes, yeah, she does. Say to yeah, me, yeah, she does. We didn't know we would say mm. that is yours. And then it's funny, my youngest, as much as she doesn't because she's fairer, people say to me, oh, Karen, she's got your nose. She looks like aneurysm. Yeah. Because I remember when my first was little, when my mum came to my house and she was walking down the pathway and obviously my mum knows and she's like, but Karen, how this child walk like you, look like you and everything? (laughs) And I'm like, because she's mine. Mine, yeah. That's why. Because she's mine. You know, so I think it's funny that little joke that i have for myself when people say oh your daughter has your nose and if i'm not sharing with them i'm like yeah she does Does. oh so does that part of her look like her dad yeah Yeah, it does does. you know so did they so with the eldest did they ever locate the mother they haven't we don't know who she is and i've explained to my daughter her situation so she knows but i've explained to her if there is ever an opportunity for us to find her, I will do everything in my power to help you. Because, for example, with my second child, I know that she's got Jamaican heritage. I know that her birth grandfather was Irish. So I know her culture. I know her actual identity. Mm-hmm. As much as we grow up and we're born and... You know, we know our birthdays, we know all of this, We, but we don't realise how important it is to Absolutely. know your culture and where mm. you come from. And now, that's what my eldest doesn't know, you know. Mm. we. I don't know whether she's Jamaican, Nigerian, Somalian. In that sense, I believe there's a slight mix, but... I do believe she's got Jamaican blood in her and I think that's because that's what I want to believe because that's my heritage Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's the only heritage I can show her and teach her. So I'm immersing her in that culture and she is clapping it up. She will tell you she's Jamaican before she tells you she's British, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) Which I find really funny. So the fact that she has taken it on is... I'm glad because looking at her and not knowing i'm like wow it's really important to know your heritage you know in that sense so the fact that she's taken that on and it was even funny with my second one because obviously she's got the irish blood and they were like how are you going to help her connect with her oh yeah that's what i was gonna say so how's yeah how do you do that and i said to the social worker well when she's 18 we can go for a guinness and i know how to cook (laughs) lamb irish stew (laughs) because <laughs> we live in England what what can't I not show her about yeah, that it's yeah. all around us I'm yeah, not in true. Africa or Jamaica where yeah, it's true, not true. out there mm. like that you know so she will be privy to it, take it but, dancing. but <laughs> she through the world's eyes and the government's eyes she's seen as a black child, child anyway yeah, very so true. Mm. she's going to be brought up just like my other child we're a Jamaican family mm. this is who we are Take them to Jamaica, let them know our country, let them eat Jamaican food, let them try those things. If they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. It's not a big biggie for me, but this is where we come from and and it's working. Love. 
laid bare. Okay, so in terms of the support that the system gives you, so so your your youngest is four. Four. Okay. At what stage are you just kind of dropped? Well, let me share with you. I'd, once you've adopted, that child is yours. Just like your daughter is yours. Mm-hmm. They are now mine. With my first, like I said, I wasn't a high earner. I worked full time. And she needed to go to nursery from 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 my perspective. And through the assessment, they looked at that. And they were like, what about grandma? And I'm like, well, no, I want her around her peers mm-hmm. but I've got a mortgage to pay I can't afford nursery fees yeah. on my income yeah and I'm, a, I'm on my own so how does that work what Lambeth did um what my social worker organized is she went to nursery full-time and for the four years because I had I took a year off and even that when I took the year off yeah because I find as long as you're honest with them mm-hmm. and you've got a good social worker, the tip is to treat the social worker like she's your best friend. Okay. And they will they will work with you. You rub them up the wrong way, they'll work against you. Right, okay. But ultimately, they want what you want. They want to place the children in yeah. their care, quote-unquote, with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I, when I adopted her... I was looking at taking nine months off because it, it works the same way the maternity leave right, okay. as it would for someone who's mm-hmm. carried and given birth. And I thought, I won't be able to not go back to work. I've got a mortgage to pay. Yeah. I'm now having to feed an extra mouth. And, and I've got to make sure there's food in the house for her. And I explained that. And you know where when you're working and it takes a dip in your wage? I never felt that dip because the difference that my workplace stopped giving me Lambeth gave me so it was like I was on full pay on right my okay so they helped me there and then when it came to nursery they paid her nursery fees every month until she left oh okay and how that worked is they'd put the money in my account and I pay the fees and that was something that when you go into court to legalize the child being yours it's all put in the writing and they they did that now that's what they did with my first and i'm telling you it helped i can it, imagine yeah because when i calculated i was like that's over 10 grand i've they've spent on nursery fees yeah but she started going at 18 months and didn't leave until she was going to school mm-hmm. and there was not once where they said what they said to me is every year we will get in contact with you, see if your circumstances have changed, and if they haven't, we'll continue. And they're meaning if you bought a scratch card and it happened to give you the millions, <laughs> yeah, yeah? Yeah, yeah, in that way. Now, with my younger one, because of all her health needs and being her foster carer, I realised we're in hospital a lot. She has a lot of appointments. If I stop being her foster carer and I have to go out and work because I'm her mother, no one's going to give me the time off to do what I need to do Mm -hmm. with her and I'm not going to adopt her to then become a mother of two homeless in the streets because I can't pay my bills Mm -hmm. so in putting that to them and saying it's not about the money but I need money to be able to survive and 
with what you've been giving me, I can survive with what you've been paying me as a foster carer. Mm-hmm. I've been able to manage my money and keep my home and my roof above my head and feed my child mm-hmm. and feed the foster child. As long as you don't change that, then, then I can yeah. I can do it. But if you tell me you can't give that to me, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say that I won't be able to keep her. And what they did is they sanctified that they will continue um, paying me until she's 18. That is amazing. And that is incredible that wow. they that that has happened for me. So I'm able so to... That, but that's not a typical thing. It is as in if... Because everyone is warranted within their needs. Right, But okay. if you're not open... Because they know what you... They know what you want and need. Because they go through your finances mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. a fine tooth comb. But if you don't but request it... if you it, don't request it, they're, not, they're gonna... not going to offer it to right. you. Okay. Yeah. You guys listening? Yeah, if you don't arch... Open your hands. You won't <laughs> get... And I know my social worker at the time has um, shared with me a couple who... I feel they most probably lived in a council or housing association home. They wanted them to adopt a um, sibling group of three. And they were like, oh, but we haven't got enough space. They rehoused them. They gave them money to buy a bigger car. Because they became, from becoming a married couple with just two, they became a family of five, yeah? And they helped them. So, obviously, the government are a bit tighter, but it's still there. They have it to give, mm-hmm. but if they can hold on to it, they will. But yeah. if you're, if by going through the adoption process, you can see that financially this is what you're going to need, mm-hmm. there's no harm in asking. Yeah. Because nine times out of ten, it's a lot cheaper for them in the long run mm-hmm. to help you than it is for that child to stay in care throughout okay. their whole life. Mm-hmm. So they'd rather help you than allow the chair to move from foster carer to foster carer to foster carer. Okay, yeah, okay. Yep, I can completely understand that. Wow. So what about, like, emotional support then? Emotional parental support? There's training to be had. You kind of have to seek it. But also, every for every adopted child the government has a five thousand pound pool of money mm-hmm. that if you want that is emotional support if you need that training through specialist therapists that deal with adopted children and that you can get that money funded to them for them to help you okay and that's how how you can do it does that vary per borough or no that is that standard is set. for every okay. adopted okay. child wherever they are you just have to do what you need to do to get it mm-hmm. and ask for it and there's loads of um different things out there to help you there's um support groups there's different charities that help you with adopted kids and their needs and even with um asia being not well and living with a disability and you think that they've offered i've been told i can get respite care which i don't want because i don't want a stranger mm-hmm. looking after my some child yeah yeah can dip, do that mm-hmm. um because i even though i get the help from um Lambeth monthly because I'm still classed as a low earner there's a thing called family funding 
D, yeah, again, they have to come to your house, go through everything. And this is living with a child with a disability. Mm. But they came, they did everything. I told them all what I have to do, da 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 da, da. And what it, how family funding works is they will give you, they will say to you, okay, you can apply for things from, like, white goods to a holiday. The lady that came and oh. saw me is like, do you feel like you need a break? Would a break really help you? Yes. I was like, yes. Um, so would you like a voucher towards going on a break? We don't, yes. We don't cover it all, um, but would you? I was like, yeah, not knowing what that means. After she came, three days later, I got a letter from them saying, we have approved your family funding. We're sending you a voucher. I got a voucher for £500 wow. to put to a holiday of my choice. As long as I book that holiday within a year of receiving it, it won't be invalid. If I leave it and leave it, then after that year, it's, it's gone. gone. But even if I don't want the holiday this year and I want it next, as long as I've booked it and given the company that code wow. to go, and it would never have happened. I'm a single mum with two girls. Mm. I was able to take them to Disneyland Paris last year. Oh, that's and amazing. And give them that, yeah. you know, through that help. And it would never have happened. But what we have to do as people is tap into the resources that are are out there Mm -hmm. because we don't do that enough. But once you tap into it, it comes forward. Mm -hmm. Many will look at me and say, oh, you've adopted this little girl. She's living with a disability. But I see it as a blessing. I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know what, God? Through her disabilities, I everything I'm doing I'm like it's a blessing after a blessing once I'm learning last year we went on holiday the same way you would we have to queue up da, 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 da. this year I know when I'm going because of her disability and I'm able to let them know and I found out a code you can get her wheel straight to the get front straight to the front we get on the plane straight yes. away look didn't know those things let, let me not lie to you when <laughs> when we went to Jamaica last year for my dad's 60th and we've not been on a family holiday since like 2003 right and we all went now i'd gone to jamaica six months prior for my for my birthday my sister's birthday with my mum and i don't know if you remember what it's like going through immigration in jamaica it is long yes it's there's no air conditioning you're like cattle yes it's crazy and they're rude and they're rude right so I remember the ordeal that I went through six months prior. And bearing in mind, my daughter was only 10, 11 months at the time. And you can imagine the whole travelling period from home to the airport, the flight. So do you know what I did? When I booked, I called up the airline and I said, "Um, I am not going through what I went through when I got to immigration last year. So I need some assistance. Do you know what they did? When the plane pulled up, there was someone there with a wheelchair. <laughs> no, but the, the thing is, you don't get your buggy until no. you go to baggage recon. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I'm not, I've got to carry my bag, her bag, her, no, 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 no. So they came with a wheelchair and wheeled me all the way to the front. Everyone was looking at me like, we saw you get on the plane and walk off. Yeah, I hear you. I was, you know, I was like, mind your business. Yes. Your 
mind your yes. business yeah and that's what i did but this is the thing these are the things that we need to like you say there are resources there to help us we just need so that's a tip guys if you're traveling with young babies get yourself some assistance get yourself a wheelchair because going through immigration sometimes it's quite long depends on the on on the country that you're going to so yeah so when so when you're traveling so when you traveled with the girls last year so you're all McKellers so you never had I guess that issue with oh are these your children no no I never when I first got Angel Grace because when you adopt the child still lives with you for it could be six months eight months before you go to court okay they legally become yours so while that happens, they're still fifty percent yours and fifty percent the government. Um, the government's right. So you're half parenting, and they had already given her a name. So even though she'd been living oh, with me, yeah, because they come with a name, and I knew I was going to change her name, but so because she was mine, I was referring to her as what I'm going to call her. Mm-hmm. Now we went to America while she was still not legally mine. And they gave me, they had to give me paperwork to say mm. who I am and with her new name change and everything, yeah. Um, but her passport was in her old name. Now, she's mine as far as I'm concerned. So when I'm going through the the airport and that and they're looking at me, my first, when they ask me her name, I say the name, I'm going to call her. And, I'm thinking, and then I think, oh no, her passport says something different. Oh my gosh, they're going to think I've kidnapped this yeah. child. What am I going to do? You know, and all of how they are with children. And then in my nervousness, even though I've got the letters and I've got the paperwork, can I find them for love nor money? They're not where I think they're supposed to be. (laughs) How do I explain myself? And then I have to, like, just calm myself down and produce them. And then they're like, okay, so that's how that happened. Because once you've adopted, you can change your child's name to whatever mm-hmm. automatically they will take on your surname you can give them middle names if they're young enough and you feel like you can change their first name you mm-hmm. can most people tend to if they've got a name that they really wanted to call the child they move whatever they're known as to their middle name and then okay. give them a name so that they don't lose that part of their identity because yeah. what you've got to remember in adopting a child they were, they were someone before, and yeah. as much as it's not important to us, it's a good important. It to will them. be yeah. important to mm. them. So you don't want to take that away mm. from them in that sense. So that's how that happened. But in that interim time before you go to court and the child is legally yours, they go by what they're called. But the social services will give you all the paperwork to travel with them. All, all, all they need to know is exactly where you're going, who you're going to stay with, be it a hotel or family member or friend, and everything is fine. Okay. Well, so I had a question that I wanted that I was going to ask you, and it's literally just left left, left my head. Okay. So, hypothetically speaking, yeah. let's say we are now ten years down the line and your eldest would be 20 21 yeah, 20, okay 21, yeah. um what is well I mean, maybe you don't know but <coughs> hypothetically speaking let's say you know her 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 biological mother comes forward and says 
On that note, actually, someone must know who this woman is. The thing is, if she comes forward... Because how? Because you can't see someone that you know with no. heavily pregnant and then they're just not pregnant anymore. And If she was to come forward, put it this way, because of all the media attention and everything, she, to me, logically, she would know where to go. As in, go to Lambeth Social Services. Mm-hmm. Because of her story, they will automatically know who she is. They will automatically know where she is and they could connect us. What I have said to them is... I do not want physical contact because the fear of them letting my child down in the sense of you arrange the contact, we go and there are no show. Yeah. I would do letterbox contact because how letterbox contact is, we write a letter, they write a letter. Um, and not getting a letter is not as hard. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And with letterbox contact... You can choose to continue it or you can choose not to. Now, with my first one, there because we don't know who we're writing to, there is no letterbox contact. With my second one, there is, and because she's so young, I write the letters. When she's older and has a better understanding, she may join me in writing them and fast forward her. She's 14, 15. Mm-hmm. She knows her story. She wants to write a letter. She writes three or four for over a two-year period and gets no response. If she chooses to stop, then we don't do it no mm-hmm, more. Mm-hmm. Because I'd understand that you writing and not receiving is going to mess you up. Of course, yeah. As a, as a child and a baby, I can deal with it. But for me, <coughs> sorry, the importance of doing it is so she knows that I tried. Tried, yeah. Whether the birth mother did or not, mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. So were there never any leads or... Okay, well, yes. In the sense of, if we rewind back now to when I first got her, and understanding her story, for me, feeling like we will never know who, it was very important that whoever was in her life at the very beginning who I could find, could write something for her in the sense of, when I first saw you, this was my thought, this Mm -hmm. is what you looked like. Because I wasn't there for those moments, Mm -hmm. so I can't share them with her. And I managed to find the officer that was called to the scene. At the time, find out her details, write her and ask her. And in that, she wrote my daughter a beautiful letter and in it she put her police officer number and explained that in years to come if she's older if she's even not working for that particular police firm her number will never change mm-hmm. and um gave her also her landline number and said you can always call me so because i had that because i tried to even find there's a photo of her with the ambulance women holding her so she'll look at that and say, who are they? I can't tell her. And I try to find them, because even if it's a name. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't. The lady that named her Grace was the receptionist at the hospital. She said, oh, they phoned us and said there's a baby. And I saw her. So I went and met her. And I, she said, I saw her. And then I phoned my friend. I said, got this beautiful girl in what can we call her? And she said, call her Grace. And that's how she came up with okay. the name. So I thought, okay. <clears throat> and then when she was older, I took 
her to her, took a photo of her holding her. So then in her story, she has that and she understands where it came from because for what for what I do what I do and what they ask you to do is do um I call it their um forever box where I put things in telling them their life story box but I call it their forever box mm-hmm. about themselves that they can look back on. So I did that and then fast forward seven, eight years later, unbeknown to me, this woman gets arrested for fraud, goes to court and everything and there was a newspaper online newspaper article that described her story and my friend sent me the link and said read this Karen it sounds like it could be her birth mum and I'm reading it and in it it's telling she's telling how she had this child abandoned her left her in all the same and I'm like this is a hand in a glove so I call the officer and she's like how do you know I'm like because it made it in the newspapers online and she's like but it wasn't supposed to because it obviously a journalist was in the courtroom oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and put it out there but they wasn't allowed to do that oh. so for me it happened for me electronically yeah. um and then i asked the officer i was like okay who is she she's like i can't tell you i even went as far as asking saying to her you do an arresting photo yeah and you arrest someone you uh-huh. take a photo can i have that she's like no that would be illegal we can't give it to you and all she was able to tell me i said i want to write her a letter which i didn't write directly to her because remember still don't know who, who she, she is because they don't name but i know that's her okay um, right okay so you so that's her you just don't know who she is yeah so we don't have a name no so I wrote and I asked, I, I put the offer of letterbox contact, I asked if she could tell me her culture mm-hmm. and if she's got any siblings mm-hmm. to let me know because it's very important to me that you know who you're related to. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, and I sent the letter, don't know if it was ever received. But because I had the police officer's number, I called her after a matter of weeks to say, and she said that in speaking to her, she says she's not, she doesn't want to know. And that's how it's been left. left. Yeah, which I can't tell my daughter because that would be devastating. Yeah. So, surely there must be... It must be a crime to abandon your child. Oh, yeah. And guess what the judge did? Yeah? Find her £160 for abandonment. Okay, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. So what you're saying is is that when she went to court for this fraud thing, it was acknowledged... It was, like, acknowledged... Not just her verbiage. It was acknowledged that she abandoned a child. Yes, and she... To me... And people, I could be wrong, it could sound really selfish, but as her mother, I feel she sold her story to make it seem like what she did, she wasn't in control of because she was depressed because of what she did all of those years later. Hence, she didn't get charged, she didn't get criminally put away, as in she didn't get imprisoned, sorry. She got... um. What do you call it, D? When you do community service? Yes, 
and a £160 fine for abandonment. Which to me, I was really annoyed about. And even if it's £160, surely that money should go to the child because it's the child you abandoned. But I think that's ridiculous. I'm flabbergasted. I thought they would have taken her to the cleaners. Mm -mm. Not at all. So am I. Wow. 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 The story may seem like you said earlier. No, like, yeah, when you said I was thinking, mm, okay, yes, that that is ringing some bells because there aren't... There were rarely any abandonment no, cases and of babies. No, it was snowing. It was very cold. Yes, I remember very it's coming cold. back to me now. It was super, super cold. And it was all over ITV News. Yeah, yes, everywhere. Yes, yes. Wow. So this was the end of the year or? Beginning February. February 2009. Yeah. Wow. Because she was, they say four hours old. The children went to go into school and they hear a noise. In a um, stairwell, you know, if you mm. imagine a block of flats, and for me, I don't visualize stairwells as being clean. It's always no, dirty, yeah, 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 yeah. And urine and, and yeah, all of that nastiness. And they hear a noise, and they lift up the bag, thinking it they're going to see a kitten crying, mm. and a baby's hand pops out. Was she clothed? Was she? Um, Can we talk about this on air? Um, they say, yeah, they yeah. say she had hyper... Hypothermia? Thermia, because it was so cold. No blanket? Um, there was a blanket, but not on her, in there. And there were some items of baby clothing, but not for her, for a toddler, in there. But nothing else. So this woman clearly had other children then? Yes, I believe so. I, I really do believe so. I know, I know so that my daughter has a brother i wholeheartedly believe it really boys clothes clothes. you know and until what happened with her going to court and me finding out all of that i presumed it was most probably a teenager Mm. um brought up in a black culture whichever culture it may be can't tell my parents Parents, i'm pregnant so hides the pregnancy doesn't know what to do. Gives birth at home, gives maybe. Gives birth somewhere uh. where no one knows and in a panic does that. Now realising you had a child before this one, you know what you you're know. doing. Unless you... Well, I mean, all my mind is... All my mind is thinking, okay, this woman is clearly mentally ill. Do we want to know? Do we want to know her? I do for a sense of security for my child because I know we don't even have a name. Mm. I had a name for my dad um, and that was hard and I had his name, his first name and his last name. I carry his last name. Not knowing Mm. who you are because ultimately she's mine. Even as an adopted child, and I think even if you have an adopted child and you never tell them that they're adopted, there's something inside of them that tells them something's not right. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's always good to be honest with them. But how much more so will she want to know? And the fact that 
she knows when it comes to her little sister, I'm able to say to her, and she'll be able to share with her, this is who my birth mum was. This is what she looked like. Mm. We've got photos. Don't have that for her. Mm. And that breaks my heart. You know? Mm. Because as her mum, and when I first got her, I was like, yes, a child that has no family, no need to do letterbox, nothing. She's all mine. Mm. And it felt good. But then when I realised the logic to it all, I'm like, Mm. no, this isn't right for her. Yeah. So if we just know, and we have that, even if she never wants to contact, if we have a sense of who you are so that it can happen when she's older, Mm. and if you choose not to, then as an adult, she can deal with that. But to never know, that is going to be hard. But Mm. in me knowing that, I'm not going to allow my daughter to realise that until she's going through it and it come, it becomes her own realisation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she will most probably feel like, oh, that's what you wanted for me. So I will work through that with her as she gets older and starts to understand it as an adult. Mm. Wow. Love. Laid. Bear. Is there anything you want to kind of say before we do the wind down? Just to let people know that with everything I've said, with the good, the bad and the ugly in it, mm. know that adoption is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you really wouldn't have any regrets. The hard times that you have with your child, you'll talk to your friend or your sibling who has a child and pretty much your stories will be the same. Mm. You know, it's just slight things are different. But don't allow any horror stories that you have heard to put you off. Don't be afraid of adopting at all. Don't be afraid of what's in there and understand that as long as you're honest and open with them, they will be honest and open with you. Mm -hmm. And you can be single, you can be a couple, you can be in a, a, a council property, have your own home, they don't mind. They need adopters and they need black adopters. Even interracial relationships who have one black, one white as adopters so that there's a balance for the mm-hmm. child that they're adopting within the family. They can look at someone and say, oh, I look like I that person. So with so with with adoption then, can you only adopt the race of what you are? Does that make sense? Not really. But ideally, that's what they want. Okay. But it doesn't have to be because ultimately they want these children in um, adoptive families where they're going to be loved. But what I've found through adopting and fostering, if they've got a black child, rather than placing that black child with a white couple, they'd want to place that child with a mixed couple. So someone represents that child's culture. Mm -hmm. Or identity in, I look like that person. Mm. But at the same time, if you're not of that child's culture, and say, for example, I don't know, you're Spanish, but your child is Jamaican, Mm. just like with my daughter, they'll ask you, 
how are you going to going allow to, yeah. your child to know about their Jamaican heritage? How are you? What are you going mm. to teach them about where they come from? Would you be willing to take them to that country? Would you be willing to source what you need to source mm-hmm. for them to understand this is a part of their culture? And once you can show them that you're willing to do that, then they're more. They're more. But then the thing is, isn't there a, maybe a danger in doing just the black on black comparison because? I could, well, you know, my family is Jamaican, but say my daughter's father's family from Ghana. Whilst there are similarities, there are also some massive differences. Big differences. So. Big differences. But is it still just the preference of what you look like? And your culture. So okay, well. so, so so okay, so it's how you look and culture. Yes, if preferably, that, if, preferably if they right, can match you. Okay. So the child is half Jamaican, half Irish. That's a Jamaican man with a Italian woman. Right, it, okay. It marries okay, better okay, than okay. if it's a Ghanaian man with an Italian woman, and the child has half mm-hmm. is half Jamaican. They do their very best mm-hmm. to match in that way, but there's a possibility that in placing the child they can't find that match and the child's getting older and older mm-hmm. and what happens with adoption once a child reaches six or seven they're deemed unadoptable because everybody wants a baby oh wow and hardly anyone applies for older children so what happens to those children those are the children that grow up in the care system and end up just moving from foster care to foster care that's not life no, not at all. Okay. Well, you know, Karen, I think on behalf of parents everywhere, I should say thank you. Well, thank you. No, honestly, because, you know, in what you've done by taking in two young girls, you've changed, you've completely changed two lives. Yeah. You thanks. know? So... Thank you. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Round of applause, guys, because you know we don't. We, there, there, there's not enough people that are putting themselves out there to do these types of thing, and I really hope that you've listened to Karen's story and can really take something away from it. Because even me, you know, I said to you at the beginning, like mm. fostering and adoption was always something that I'd always thought about, but it was kind of put completely to the back burner because you know, yeah, he oh. he didn't want to do that kind of thing, but. Now I could actually really, really sit down and think about this. This could be a viable option, and I love to help people. So, um, if anybody wanted advice, are they able to maybe contact you by email? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. What's your email address? It's Kazzy K. That's spelled K A double Z Y K seventy two at hotmail dot com. Lovely. So, what is what are your future plans? Do you intend to? adopt or foster any more children if i somehow marry a millionaire and can buy a bigger house i would adopt more and more because to me to see a child just no love even with my daughter's first story it was important for me to get her a sibling Mm -hmm. because selfishly i would have just stayed me and her children are expensive I would have just stayed, but it's, to me, mm. it's important for her to have family and feel like I've got someone that relates to me. Because, like I said earlier, my family, no one else has adopted. Mm-hmm. So, if I could, I would. I very much want to do all I can to promote adoption 
full stop, but to promote adoption in the black culture, um, very much so. Not to be ashamed of it because it's nothing. So some people, that's how you, that's how, that is what is designed for you. It's not for you not to mother. Yeah. But to mother in a different way. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you're still a mother. You, no one will be able to tell you you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just implore anyone, even, like I said, even if it's just a tiny, tiny thought in the back of your head, run with it because you just don't know how it will bless your life if it goes through. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you know of any support services that you could let us know about? If you don't know now, um, if you could just let me know and I can pop them on the website. Yeah, I'll get back to you on that yeah. and I'll give you them because I don't want to give you them incorrectly off the top of my head. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. That's fine. Okay, well, Karen, once again, thank you for taking the time out to speak with us at Love Lay Bear. Your story has been um, emotional, <laughs> you know. It has. But yeah, we'd love to have you back if you'd definitely. like to speak about your your dad. Just definitely. I'm I'm very much an open book and I believe in in sharing your life and your stories with people. You can connect to other people and allow people also out there that feel like they're on their own and only I'm suffering from this. No, you're not the only one. Thank you for um allowing me to share with you on this platform and anyone that's listening to it even if it's not everything i hope you've connected to it in some way lovely okay guys well as always um thank you for tuning in i love you take care and i'll be back again next week okay bye laid